This morning, Luke chapter 18, a parable of Jesus, a relatively short uh, parable of Jesus. As I often say, uh, for some of you, a very familiar parable of Jesus. And this is one of the teachings that, well, you remember a, a few weeks ago, uh, I did a sermon called uh, Guard Your Heart, and we talked about one of Jesus' parables and uh, how difficult it was to, to make sense of the parable, how it kind of elevated, if you're here, we talked about how it kind of elevated kind of a treacherous looking figure, and, and it was one of those parables that it was, it was difficult, it's, it's tough to kind of we really have to wrestle hard with what exactly Jesus is saying. There's places in the Gospels where that is very, very true. There's places throughout the Scriptures where that's true, where we, we really have to dig and, and sometimes um, contend hard with what exactly is that we're supposed to learn, what's the Holy Spirit speaking, what's the truth uh, behind the teaching. Uh, this parable, Luke chapter 18, uh, is not one of those teachings. This is one that as you hear it, as you follow along, um, whether you're familiar with it or not, it's quite easy to, to grasp um, what Jesus is getting at. But that makes it no less profound. It makes it no less important for us to, to allow the Holy Spirit to, to challenge us this morning. And, and really look at, as, as I've said often, when we read the Scriptures, we need to read not just about them, but we need to read about us. Because... Almost universally throughout the Bible stories, throughout the teachings, we can find ourselves in the story, if we're honest. And sometimes the honesty isn't so comfortable. So here's the question I'll just seed with you as we begin to read. Where are you in this story? There's only two characters. So which one are you closer to? So let's, let's read. Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, let me just pause for a moment. Jesus really wants to kind of put two people on the most opposite ends of the spectrum that they could be. Pharisee, religious leader, educated, well-respected, tax collector, just um, despised. So, so there's a reason that Jesus picks these two because they really are. They're, they're initially in the, in the mind and the heart of the hearer going to, to create a kind of a guttural reaction um, to, to these two extremes. So two men of, of Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, speak 
your truth, even if it's an uncomfortable truth, even if it's an unsettling truth, it is your truth. Speak to our hearts and shape us into the way of Christ, which is the way of humility and the way of service. We pray in his precious name. Amen. Growing up in my house meant that you had to get used to um, a lot of silliness. Um, It just, the the silliness um, and the goofiness that you often see in me um, is entrenched from the generations that have come before me, and specifically my father. Um, and and that's, that's kind of his way, lighthearted, a lot of fun, a lot of laughter. But my father has a memory like, I mean, just a, a trap. Uh, he, he doesn't forget anything. And so he sings a lot of goofy songs. And I grew up hearing a lot of goofy songs that I, he would just break into refrains for. And one of them is the one that is the title of the sermon, A Lord it's hard to be humble. I didn't know it was a real song until this week. Seriously, I didn't know. I thought it was just some, you know, like nursery rhyme kind of thing. But I, re- I learned this week that it was a song from, I think, the 60s by an artist by the name of Mac Davis, I believe. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror. I get better looking each day. I must be... Oh, no, people... Oh, shoot. To, to know me is to love me. Thank you. I must be one heck of a man. Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. You know, and so we would, we would hear Dad sing that song um, on occasion and, and, and have a lot of lighthearted moments. Um, but I wonder how hard it is for us, if we're honest, to be humble. How hard it is to be humble because it's an important challenge for us. It's it's an important um, need for us because there's there's one truth. If we get a little full of ourselves, we get a little haughty and and proud, life has a way of humbling us. You know, we we can sometimes be brought low by by our experiences. There's a a story of of a preacher, of course, who uh, after a sermon one Sunday, a member of his church came up to him and said, Preacher, thank you for your message today. You know, you must be smarter than Albert Einstein. And the preacher kind of, you know, kind of puffed up a little bit and said, Thank you, you know, and that was the end of it. But as the week went on, he began to think about that. Why would he say I'm smarter than Albert Einstein? And it kind of perplexed him. So the next week after the sermon, he found the man and he said, I, Can I ask you something? And the gentleman said, sure. He said, you remember last week when you said to me that I was smarter than Albert Einstein? And the guy's like, yeah, I remember. And he's like, well, what did you mean by that? Why am I smarter than Albert Einstein? And the man looked at him and said, preacher, it is said that Albert Einstein was so smart that there were only 10 people in the entire world that could understand him. He said, but when you preach, nobody can understand you. Now, do not come up to me after the sermon and say, Chris, you're smarter than Albert Einstein. You know, life has a way. There's a story of, of uh, Muhammad Ali uh, told, told that when he was kind of in the, the, his glory years, that he was on a plane flying obviously somewhere, and uh, the, the flight attendant, or back then the stewardess, 
kept tr- trying to get him to put on his seatbelt. I don't know if you've heard this story. And they said, you know, Mr. Ali, put on your seatbelt. He didn't want to put his seatbelt on. He didn't want to put, she kept asking, put your seatbelt on. And finally he looked at her and said, man, Superman don't need no belt. And she went, yeah, and Superman don't need no plane. Put on your seatbelt. Um, <laughs> Life will knock us down a peg if we let ourselves get, get too full of ourselves. We, as funny as it can be, uh, we need to be careful of our pride. We need to be very alert of our overinflated sense of worth. There is a sense of value that we should have. You know, this is one of those sermons that, and truths that, that has a fine line to it because we are valuable. We do matter. We're, we're created in the image of God. But we have to be very, very careful when our egos, our pride, our sense of value um, gets above where it ought to be. I, I heard and, and read an article not too long ago, that was talking about Jesus on the cross. It was talking about Golgotha and the three crosses. And the writer said on that day, crucified on that hill, were three thieves. Now that should kind of get your attention. It got mine because I thought, well, wait a minute. There were two thieves on those crosses. There was the thieves to the left and to the right, those who were, as the scriptures, getting their just punishment. I said, no, there were three. In fact, the greatest thief at Golgotha that day was Jesus. Because Jesus had made it a point of his ministry to steal things. For instance, when a woman came to the well who had been married five times, an outcast, he stole from her her shame. He stole from her her sense of worthlessness. When a crowd brought a woman caught in adultery to be stoned, he stole from them. He stole from them their sense of self-righteousness. To the leper who was outcast, he stole his illness and his ostracism. And, And basically over and over throughout the scriptures, going on to show how Jesus had stolen things from people. Ultimately, even to the cross, which he stole the power of death so that we may have life. Jesus was constantly taking things. We read this parable. I think we get some insight into what Jesus wants to steal from from many of us. Actually, from all of us. He wants to steal our pride. Not, again, not a sense of value, but a, an oversense of value, a sense of, of inflated worth. He wants to see those who become his followers take on the mantle of humility. In fact, that's Paul's admonition to the church. Have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. That was the way of Jesus, was humility. He wants to steal our pride that would become a detriment to our eternity, to our relationship with Jesus and to our 
relationship with others. So we think of that in, in the, the theme of, of what is God and why does Jesus want to want to take this from us? He tells this parable, and it's simple. It's two men, the Pharisee and the tax collector, and the way that they approach God and the way that they approach others. Two men on absolute opposite ends of the spectrum. He wants to steal that pride that would make us more like the Pharisee and less like the tax collector. So the question becomes why? Why, why steal our pride? Why, why take that from us or that, that overinflated sense of, of self? And, and the first is this, and it, it's embedded throughout the scriptures. And that is pride gets in the way of God. Pride gets in the way. Not, not, that, not that God can't work around us, but God can't work through us when we become too prideful. Because pride leaves no room for God. Because pride becomes incredibly self-centered. Pride becomes about self-accomplishment rather than self-sacrifice. Pride um, becomes about focusing on the inward rather than focusing on the outward. Pride becomes about us rather than becomes about Christ and what Christ is doing in us. Paul would say that his great sin in his days before he came to know Jesus was his pride and his self-confidence his zest for his own uh, recognition. This is embedded throughout his letters to the churches. It was when that pride is broken down that that he begins to be open to the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. Pride gets in the way of what God can do through us. And it leads to some behaviors that we need to be very, very aware, aware of. Pride begins to seek to exalt the self. You know, when we become full of pride, we want to be recognized. We want to, to others to, to recognize our value and, and to celebrate us. And so again, it becomes very self-serving. Um, pride leads to us treating others unfairly. This is terribly dangerous. It begins to treat others as commodities as resources for our accomplishments or for, or for what we want. So pride begins to, to hinder our connections. It accepts no responsibility for wrongdoing. Boy, do we see this a lot of times, don't we? In our, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. That happened because. Or, or I'm sorry, but... But this is why that happened, and it's really not my fault. So pride begins to, to focus. It, it becomes a failure to be self-reflective and really to, to take ownership. It begins in all of these ways to hinder our relationship with God and with us because a prideful spirit doesn't hear others. It doesn't listen. And it's not only true of our relationships with others, but it's true of our relationship with God. We have to be incredibly, incredibly careful of pride. And so what happens is, in this parable, the the admirable figure, at least at the surface level, would have been the Pharisee. The Pharisee was religious. 
He, he went to worship. He did all the right religious things. The, the Pharisee tithed his money. The, the law said you fast one day a week. The Pharisee fasted twice. If you, if you, if you prayed one hour, the, the Pharisee prayed two. The Pharisee was an ideal church member. He was perfect. But yet he was completely removed from God because of his pride, because of his arrogance. Pride hinders the work of God in and through us. And so, the opposite is true. Humility draws us closer to God. It is described by one Christian author as the gift of inadequacy. Now, who would have thought that would be a gift? That's not something we talk about. The gift of inadequacy, the gift of vulnerability. It is the willingness to come to God in honest recognition of the truth of what Paul says. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If anyone, as he says, if, if anyone uh, claims, and this is not Paul, but if anyone claims that sin, they do not sin, the truth is not in them. Now, now, why did the scriptures repeat this over and over? Why did the scriptures ask us to be honest before God? Because it allows us to be drawn close to God and to be open to his mercy and to his grace. I mean, you think about that with that woman that came to the well in John um, chapter 4. The woman who had five husbands. She, as she becomes vulnerable, as she becomes more willing to be open and honest with Jesus, she becomes open not to his judgment, but to his grace. Not to his condemnation, but to his liberation from her sin and from this definition of her worth and her value. She allowed not her sense of self to define her, but the voice of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit to define her. In fact, by becoming vulnerable, she gets lifted up. In the Gospel of Mark, the woman caught in, who, had, who had been suffering from 12 years of hemorrhaging, bleeding, and she comes in her inadequacy toward Jesus, so much so that she doesn't even want him to know that, he's there, that she's there. She just wants to touch his garment because she's not worthy of his attention. She feels she's not worthy of his focus and she's a little afraid because of the social norms. But yet in her sense of inadequacy, her unworthiness, her vulnerability, her humility, Jesus lifts her up, not only heals her, but lifts her up. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Over and over, it is the humble that become drawn closer to God. The, the, the woman who, Mary, who washes Jesus' feet with her tears. Even Peter, big, bad Peter, big, loud, boisterous, obnoxious, the rock on which I will build my church, the first disciple that we read about, the first one most of us think about. Even Peter, it was in his brokenness in his vulnerability that he becomes closest to them and that he openly receives that mercy of, of Jesus after he had denied him three times and his spirit is laid low. That self-sufficient ego that had driven Peter so much, no, Lord, I would never deny you even if I have to die with you. When the rubber met the road, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And in the aftermath of that, Jesus, three times, Peter, feed my sheep, tend to my lambs, feed my sheep. Your ministry, your work, your call, it ain't over because you messed up. 
In fact, you're more open now to what I wish to pour into you than you were before. Humility. We're called to come close to God in the honesty of of who we are. I, I read somebody said, you know why Jesus loves sinners? You know why Jesus loves sinners? Because there's no one else for him to love. I thought that's so simple, yet so profound. That's all of us. That's all of us. So there's no sense of greater, there's no sense of of elevation that we're more worthy than anyone else. We all come humbly before God. And it's not to devalue our worth, but to recognize just how much we're loved. Just how much we're loved. And that is exactly how the tax collector comes to God. He comes in and he slinks into the, to the church, into the synagogue, and, and it says he stays in the back. He doesn't even assume the posture of prayer. He doesn't even look up because he feels unworthy of it. He's a tax collector. He's a traitor to his people. He is despised. He's involved in dishonest trade. And he comes and he knows he doesn't deserve the Lord's mercy. And yet Jesus says he is the one who receives it. I wonder what it would be like for us, what our reaction would be. You know, I've said before that we we all carry our sin. We all carry our shortcomings. We all are broken. We just, most of us hide it well. I wonder how we would react if somebody came in to worship this morning who didn't hide it so well. If the alcoholic came in after an all-night bender with alcohol on their breath, hair disheveled, clothes sloppy, how would we react? How'd we react if the, the young lady who dances at the club all night for the entertainment of men wandered in here in an outfit that none of us would think appropriate for church? How would we react if they came in completely and openly in their brokenness that we all carry but it was just wasn't hidden how would we respond what would our reaction be what would their experience of us be because here's the third truth while pride moves us away from God humility draws us close to God humility also draws us close to each other close to others What is it about Jesus that attracted people? Why is it that prostitutes and tax collectors and marginalized, why is it that they flocked to Jesus? Because of the humility in his perfection. He did not equate equality with God as something to be grasped, but he humbled himself. Humble means to take a lowly or to to become close to the earth. And Jesus didn't stand in judgment of them, but he invited them into a relationship. And they didn't get a sense that he was constantly standing over them, but they were attracted to him. The truth is, in our confession, in our honest reflection of who we are, we attract others. The problem is, too often we repel others. Because there's a perception, whether right or wrong, that in order to come to church, you've got to have it all together. And that if I come to church and I don't, I'm going to be judged. People are going to think less of me. And sadly, that happens. It shouldn't, but it does. But when we take on that humble spirit, 
we recognize that God calls us all to a life of holiness. God calls us all to receive his mercy, but none are more worthy than the other. Not you, not me, none of us. And we begin to live into our call to draw people into a relationship with God through us. I mean, come on, nobody likes somebody who's full of pride and arrogance. I mean, you don't and I don't. The problem is, in fact, C.S. Lewis wrote this in Mere Christianity. The problem is we despise, he says, we despise arrogance in others and we so rarely see it in ourselves. Isn't that the truth? We despise it in others and we so rarely see it in ourselves. But he goes on to say that pride is the root of all sin. How about that? The root of all sin. That would be interesting study to go through the sins and to name them and to, to, to begin to unpack the root of where that is birthed. C.S. Lewis says it's a birth of pride. We come honestly before God with gratitude. This, this, this isn't a sermon to beat anybody up. As I said, it's a good thing. We're all in the same boat. We are all in that boat. But it's a challenge for us. For, for most of us who have made a, a commitment at some level to, to follow Jesus, where do you see yourself in the story? You know, where does Jesus see you in the story? We all have our moments of arrogance. We all have our moments when we get a little cocky. But I would pray that the character of our lives resembles more of that tax collector than it ever does that Pharisee. More of an honest confession to God. Thank you. Thank you because your mercy does cover me, though I am unworthy. As I've told you before, one of my favorite lines from one of the old communion rituals, though we are unworthy as to gather up the crumbs under this thy table, you, Lord, are a God whose property is always to have mercy. And we celebrate, we're thankful for that, but recognize that what's true for us is true for others. It's true for all people. God's mercy covers when hearts are open to that. So, so is it hard to be humble? How much truth is in the silly song? Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble. Let it not be true. Let it not be true of us, but with humility, let us come with gratitude for what God has done for us and seek to be the instruments in which God can convey that truth to others. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble. Let it not be so for those who are called in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we, um, we confess to you that, that there are times for all of us that we're too much like that Pharisee. We're too easy, too often, too, too ready to see the sins of others, the shortcomings of others, the failures of others, before we first are willing to confess our own. Lord, forgive us of our pride. Cleanse us, steal us of our pride so that our worth would not be defined in our own accomplishments, in our own self-elevated sense of, of who we are, but that would, our worth would be defined by you, by your grace and by your mercy, by the willingness to send your son to die for us, and then remind us of what is true for us is true for others, and help us in humility as we approach you to approach our brothers and sisters to be the vehicles in which you would share your love to them as you have poured your love on us. That is our prayer. We pray it humbly 
In the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Friends, let's